More about Good morning, everyone. Y'all doing all right? Yeah? Oh, Sunshine, right? That's good. That's the important thing. All right. Would you all stand with me as we go to the Lord in prayer today? Lord, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for the, uh, the privilege it is to be here. Lord, we pray that our, um, our offerings, uh, that of our time, that of our finances and of our voices uh, would all be done in an aspect of worship to give you praise that is due your name. Thank you, God, for being an amazing God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. Why don't we, um, yeah, we're going to sing page 574 in your hymnal. Um, revive us again. Let's lift up our voices as we sing.
sing that chorus just one more time. singing, you may be seated. Uh, let me just give you a couple announcements here before we um, move on in our service. Um, let's see. October 18th, we have a quarterly business meeting at 7. That's a Wednesday night. Uh, and then also, uh, the day is wrong and the time is wrong in the bulletin for the Fall Festival. The Fall Festival will now be um, October 29th at 4 p.m. drink a water, a bottle of water, and he just took it to his mom and says, I'm not walking up there. Uh, so yeah, Fall Festival is now October 29th, that's a Sunday, at 4 p.m., and that's still at Katie's place, uh, Katie Rumbaugh, the address there. Um, November 5th, we're not having a Kyrian Fellowship dinner, um, because on the 12th, we're having our Veterans Day and Thanksgiving um, Fellowship dinner which is always a good time. I think we have the most food ever during that dinner, and a lot of people look forward to it. It's a great time of fellowship. Uh, and then November 22nd is our Thanksgiving service. That's at 7 p.m. That's a Tuesday night. Um, so Wednesday the 23rd, we will not be having um, our Wednesday night prayer meeting, but uh, just giving you some heads up on that. So, yeah, the one change in there, don't forget, October 29th is the fall festival, not the 28th, and it starts at 4, not 5. All right, let's continue singing. Um, the next song we're going to sing is page 323, Holy, Holy, Holy.
singing. The next song we're going to see sing um, is in your bulletins. And uh, oh, Dave, you're going to want to turn this down just a little bit. Um, I forgot to do that. We're going to sing "I Need You More," and uh, also during this song, we're going to take up the offer. Bless you. would ask God to bless the offering.
Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 11. Luke 11. So glad that you are here today with us. We are in a second week of our series, um, a series on prayer called Beyond Prayer, a biblical perspective on the power of prayer. It's uh, based off of a book that I got while I was on a pastor's, re- uh, pastor's conference in California. Uh, it's called It Happens After Prayer by H.B. Charles Jr. And uh, so let's just jump right in here. Luke chapter 11. I hope you all are there. Luke 11. It says, Now it came to pass, as he was praying in a certain place, when, a, when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord... Teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. So what's going on here? The disciples, they watch and they wait as Jesus prayed. When he finished, one of them, we don't know who, it doesn't say, but one of them said, Lord, teach us how to pray. And the request resulted in amazing teaching from the Lord. And uh, we're going to concentrate on Jesus' instructions. But first, let's look at the disciples' request here. Uh, the disciples' request. W- when was this request made? Well, first off, we see that it was made after they saw him praying. Um, this wasn't the first time that they'd seen Jesus pray. The Gospels make it very, very clear that Jesus was a man that was devoted to prayer. And it wasn't just that Jesus prayed that caused the disciples to ask about it. It was because they saw that uh, his prayers were passionate, that they were reverent, uh, they, they were uh, godly times of prayer. And they wanted to have that same communion with God. Uh, and so they asked Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to have this same communion with the Father. You know, one of the primary reasons that we ought to pray is because Jesus prayed. I mean, think about this. Was Jesus God? Yes? Yes. Was Jesus man? Yes, he was, he was the God-man. Uh, and yet, Jesus still prayed. Even though he was God, even though he was 100% man, he still prayed. And uh, if Jesus felt it necessary to pray, how much more should we desire or, or need to learn how to pray as well? Now, another question here is, who was this question directed to? Well, that's pretty obvious. It was uh, uh, directed at Jesus. Um, and I think this obvious point is very significant. If you want to learn a new skill or a new trade, uh, wisdom tells you to go to someone who can do those things. Um, I know when I started getting into woodworking, uh, I talked to Rick. I talked to I, me and Dave. Probably spent hours upon, probably days, uh, if you count it all up, talking about all kinds of different ways to do things, and. Uh, and, and I appreciate those things because they knew how to do them. And, and so I went to those guys and others that knew how to do those things. That's what wisdom tells you to do. Go to someone who already knows how to do it and pick their brain. Figure out what from them. Learn from them. And so that's what the disciples did. I mean, who can better teach you how to pray than Jesus, right? Um, so being fully human, Jesus knows all about offering prayer to God. But being fully divine, Jesus knows all about how to answer our prayers as well. Uh, So do you want to learn how to pray? Ask Jesus, Lord, teach me how to pray. Now, why is this question so important? 
Why is this request so important? It's because it is the only time found in the Gospels that the disciples ask Jesus directly, Lord, can you teach us this? Lord, can you teach us something? They didn't ask Jesus how to preach. They didn't ask Jesus, it's not recorded, that how to preach, how to do miracles. Jesus had already sent them out to, with, with such power to, to preach and to perform uh, miracles. They didn't ask him how to do that. Yet they asked him and they needed to learn how to pray. Why? That seems odd a little bit. But I, I believe the disciples made this request because something that is still going on today is that one of the hardest things, the most difficult things to learn as a follower of Christ is how to pray. Harder than preaching, harder than doing miracles. It is one of the hardest lessons to learn because it is one of the most important things to learn in our Christian lives. I mean, they assumed Jesus would teach them his formula. You know, like, okay, we want God to do what we want him to do. So, Lord, um, give us your secret. Give us your secret formula. Um, you know, do we say, like, our fathers? You know, how many of those do we say? Or what, you know, give us exactly what we're supposed to say. It was the right request, but it was the wrong motive. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. And instead of giving them his secret way, as if there was one, he answered the question the way they should have been asking it, which Jesus often did when in his teaching. So instead of teaching them a technique on how to pray, he taught them the truth. Well, what is the truth? That God answers prayers. Do you believe that God answers prayers? All right, I hope you do. It is one of the most important lessons we can learn about prayer. There is no more encouraging motivation to pray than that God answers prayers. Prayer matters because it works. It pleases God when we pray. So let's now talk about Jesus, his instructions to us. So he, they ask him, how should we pray? And Jesus said, okay, the first thing you need to do is you need to pray with reverence. Reverence. You need to pray with reverence for God. Now, we're looking at Luke's account of uh, uh, what many people consider the Lord's Prayer. Uh, so let's look at verse number 2. So he said to them, when you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Like I said, this, is pas uh, this passage is commonly called the Lord's Prayer. Uh, but, you know, as we talked about in Sunday school a little bit, Jesus was perfect. Uh, I don't think this was his prayer because, you know, he, he never committed any sins to ask God to forgive him from. Sin is our problem. That's why we need a Savior. And uh, Christ is qualified to save sinners because he was not a sinner. So some people more appropriately call it the model prayer or, you know, an example. Uh, so Jesus teaches an essential principle for effective prayer is that the God who answers prayer is God. Now that seems like, well, duh. But I mean, let's, be, let, let's focus on this. The God who answers prayer is God. He's not the big man upstairs. 
He's not, you know, some supreme being or some cosmic Pepsi machine. God is not a heavenly Santa Claus. He, you know, God is not a winning lottery ticket. God is God. God alone is God. God is absolutely sovereign. He is infinitely wise and unchanging in His goodness. He is wonderful, perfect, awesome, terrible, majestic in every single way. And we must not allow our access to God through Christ cause us to take His greatness for granted. We must pray God-sized, God-centered, and God-exalting prayers. So what does that mean to pray with reverence? Well, that means we need to pray directly to God. You know, there are some religions out there say you need to pray to you know, Mary or pray to some saints or pray to some other people because we just, you know, we don't want to bother God. No, God is there for us. We need to pray directly to Him. Uh, here in, in, in the version of the Bible that I use, here's New King James Version. Luke appears to mimic Matthew's that says, Our Father in Heaven. But if you dig into the Greek, the original writing there, uh, and even some other translations will, will copy this, that Jesus simply teaches the disciples to address God as Father. Just Father. That's pretty amazing. The, the writer of that book, H.B. Charles, he said, Our Father in Heaven, that, that title, affirms both transcendence and eminence of God. But the one word address of Father emphasizes God's closeness, His eminence, and His nearness. I, and I don't think we ought to breeze past this opening of Father. We ought to linger on that. We ought to rejoice in that. Because if you are a child of God, He is your Father. The best Father that could possibly be. And we ought to stand in awe of God's graciousness. We have the privilege of bringing our needs, our wants, our sins, our hurts, our fears, our anxiety, whatever. We can bring it directly to God in prayer. Not through anybody else, but straight to God. We don't approach God like a, a beggar, a desperate beggar that is uh, asking a stranger for a big old favor. No, we are God's children. And He is a caring, loving Father. In the Old Testament, Israel had many different names for God, uh, but they rarely called Him Father. It was never a personal thing. It was never an individual sense. Um, but when Jesus taught his disciples how to pray to God in prayer, he did not give them a list of Old Testament names to, to memorize. He taught them to address God directly as our Father. Jesus can authorize us to pray this way because he is our high priest who makes an intimate communion with God possible. So we, we pray directly to God. But not only that, but we need to pray about things that are going to bring glory to God. In the first few lines of his prayer, Jesus rebukes the gimme prayers. Okay? Do you know what I'm talking about? Gimme prayers? Um, that, that so many of us have. We go to God with our grocery list of all we want him to do. And we don't spend any time whatsoever in thanking him. We don't spend any time in, in, in praising him and worshiping him. It's just like, Lord, I, I want this. I want this. I need this. And, and even some of those gimme prayers can be prayed for other people. But it really comes down to, Lord, give me this. Give me this. Give me this. Give them this. Where's the worship? Where's the thanksgiving? 
We need to pray about things that bring glory to God. God's name, God's kingdom, God's will should be the top priorities in our prayers. Prayer is about accomplishing God's will, not about us accomplishing our will. On uh, Facebook this week, I've been, I've been putting some thoughts up during my, my uh, message preparation. And uh, I know I posted that one, and uh, someone's like, I don't like that. <laughs> and y'all are probably going to go back and scroll through it. It was Cheryl. Um, <laughs> it was a hard concept, you know, and it is a hard concept for us to understand. But I mean, the idea there is like, I don't know. I don't know about that. But prayer is supposed to be about God's will, not about getting our will done. The ultimate purpose of prayer is God and His glory, not us and our needs. Prayer is not about the answers that you may get to your prayers either. It's definitely not about you. It is about God. True prayer is God-centered. James chapter 4, verse 3 says, You ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss, that you may spend it on your prayers. Those are selfish prayers. I'm sorry, spend it on your pleasures. Those are selfish prayers that dishonor God. Prayer works when we pray about things that bring glory to God. Pray that God's name would be hallowed. What, what, what's, you look at that again. What is the, you know, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Those are the first three things that he talks about. God, about, about him being hallowed, about his will being done and his kingdom being built. Um, when we go to God, how much time do we spend in adoration and thanksgiving to God before we start giving him our list? Most of us are like, well, Lord, thank you for the day. Thank you for my family. Okay, now I got this list for you, Lord. It's lopsided. And I don't think it pleases God when our focus is all about gimme, 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 gimme. And it may be done in the right attitude, but still, it's a gimme prayer. We're not focusing on the Lord. We're not focusing on worshiping Him or bringing Him uh, um, adoration. Prayer works, like I said, when you pray about things that brings glory to God. Pray that God's name would be hallowed. His kingdom comes. His will is done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, imagine a father, um, if you would, playing with his kids. And he sits on the couch with uh, coins in his hands. And he's got it all tightened up. And his children are sitting on his lap. And they're just working at his hand, trying to open up his, his fingers to get at those coins. And so they finally pry open his hand. They snatch those coins. And they run away laughing happy. But then the father is left sitting all alone. Is that how we pray? Do we only come to the father for the coins that are in his hand? Are our health, finances, family, etc., is that our consuming focus when it comes to prayer? Now don't get me wrong, God is able to work mightily on our behalf in every single one of those personal matters. But we shouldn't be fixated on the pennies in His hand. We need to seek the face of God, not His hand. 
So we pray with reverence. That means we pray directly to him. We pray about things that's going to bring glory to his name. But also we need to pray as if everything depends on God. Because it does. Jesus, Jesus criticizes those gimme kinds of prayers that rushes into God's presence with a grocery list of personal requests. But that does not mean that your personal requests don't matter to God. They do. God wants you to bring them to Him in prayer. But they should not take precedence over our worship, our, our adoration, our thanksgiving that is given to God. The model prayer teaches us to pray for our personal needs. Give us this day our daily bread. You know, and we, and we should pray about our, our past sins as well. You know, uh, forgive us our sins. And you can pray about your future trials. Lead us not into temptation. You know, God cares about every season of our life. You know, you've, he already talks about the past, the present, and the future right there. We're to pray as if everything depends on God because it does. Now, our dependence on God does not give us a license to be lazy. Lazy in our work, lazy in our relationship with the Lord, being unrepentant in our sins, uh, in our lifestyle. You know, the Bible says that God feeds the birds, right? That He takes care of them. He provides for them. They don't grow anything on their own, but God feeds them, right? Does He put the seed in their nests? No. He, they still have to go out and get it, Okay. So God feeds the birds, but he does not put the worms and the seeds and whatnot in his nest. The birds still have to go out and work. You must work as if everything depended on you, but you need to pray as if everything depends on God. So how should we pray? We ought to pray with reverence to God. Also, we ought to pray with dependence on God, with dependence Let's look here. Verse number 5 here, Luke 11. And he said to them, Which of you shall have a friend? And go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence... He will rise and give him as many as he needs. This is the parable of, the, of a friend at midnight. Let's, let's take it, make it a little personal, all right? You got a friend who stops by your place unexpectedly in the middle of the night. He has nowhere to stay. He's out of gas. He's out of money. And as you welcome your friend into your home, you say, make yourself at home. Oh, let me fix up the, uh, the bedroom for you. You can sleep there. That's great. But then you realize that you're in trouble. There's no food in the house because tomorrow is grocery shopping day. And then you're like, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? I can't, uh, stores are all closed because the pandemic has caused everything to be not open 24 hours a day anymore. Um, Tomorrow is grocery shopping day, but you're not panicking because you've got another friend that's close by. And you're like, you know what, excuse me, I'll be back in just a moment. I'm going to head over to my friend's place. And so you excuse yourself and you head over to your friend's place. Let's just call them Alice and Willis. I don't know why. I just picked those names. Um, oh, you'll know why one of them here in a minute. Uh, but you're, you're going there hoping that Alice made her no-bake cookies that are the most amazing things. And you're, you, you know that they have pizza like seven times a, a week, and you're hoping they have some leftover pizza so that you can bring back to your friend. 
Yeah, these are based on Dave and Lori. Um, at least that part of it is. But you're hoping you can borrow food, and you say, I'll, I'll, I'll pay it back, you know, uh, when, I, when Giant Eagle opens up or when Walmart opens up or whatever. And so you knock on the door, and you hear this, who is it? And you tell them everything that's going on, hoping that, uh, that that would cause your friend to open the door and help you, but you're wrong. And, the, and this grouchy, sleepy friend says, leave me alone. It's been a long day. I'm in bed. I'm not getting you anything. Come back in the morning. Willis, the sleepy friend, grouchy friend, stops talking, thinking that he didn't need to say anything else because he already gave you his case. I'm in bed. It's not happening tonight. Sorry. And you're insistent, and you say, what you talking about, Willis? That's why I named him Willis, so I could say that phrase. For those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, you missed some awesome childhood. Anyway. So you knock again, you knock harder, and then you see the lights starting to turn on, even in the neighbors' houses, because you're knocking louder, and you're like, "Hey, give me, let me in, Willis. I need your help, Willis." And it's an embarrassing display on both you and your sleepy friend. Someone had to put an end to this, and so the sleepy friend got out of bed, gave his neighbor the leftover pizza and the no-bake cookies, but he did not do it out of friendship. He did it to shut you up. So he could go back to sleep. He was willing to give you anything at this godforsaken hour just to go back to sleep. It's not a pretty story, but it teaches us an important lesson about prayer. Effective prayer requires dependence on God. Effective prayer requires steadfast dependence on God. You can't uh, you really cannot pray any other way. In fact, you won't pray without a sense of dependence on God because our need drives us to God in prayer. It does not matter how much you know about prayer if you're not aware of your neediness and God's sufficiency. You will never learn to pray. Prayerlessness you know, you, you just choose not to pray, is basically a declaration of independence against God. You're like, I got this. I don't need you. But needy people are going to pray to the Lord. They're going to say, I, I need God. You know, I, I need this. So this story raises two questions about our prayer life. Do you pray? I'm sorry, uh, two questions about how your prayer life reveals your level of dependency on God. First one is, do you pray? You know, I could probably pull every single one of you and I say, do you pray? And almost every single one of you say, yeah, I pray. Well, maybe not as much as I probably should, but yeah, I pray. Because, hey, we're, we go to church. We're Christians. That's what we're supposed to do. But look at this. The unexpected host went to his neighbor's house almost instinctively. He was confident that his neighbor could and would supply the bread he needed. Is this what you do in prayer? When you have a problem that you cannot solve, do you pray about it? When your friends come to you with a need, do you pray about it? When it's midnight in your life, and do you pray about it? Do you give up? Do you try to face the problem on your own, or do you pray? And I'm not talking about some quick, half-hearted emergency prayer. I'm talking about an earnest, diligent, persistent 
prayer? Do you have a sense of dependency on God that you can't even take your next breath without Him? And it causes you to knock on the door of God until you get what you need. You say, okay, yeah, uh, okay. Yeah, I do. I do that. All right, good. Well, then how do you pray? How do you pray? And and this is the biggest question the parable of the friend at midnight raises. It, It does not simply encourage us to pray. It teaches us to pray in a way that will open closed doors. The key to this parable is in verse number 8. Look at verse number 8 again. He says, I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. The word translated as persistence in the Greek simply means to, to be without shame. Now, picture the scene again. It's past midnight. The sleepy friend is in bed with his family. The door is locked. A clear statement like, leave me alone, is not hard to misunderstand. Common sense, good manners should have made the the unexpected host to give up uh, when his sleepy friend said he's not going to help him. But the shamelessness made the midnight caller continue to knock. He had a need. His friend was the only one who could supply his, what he needed. And it didn't matter if he woke up everybody else in town. He was determined to keep knocking until his sleepy friend gave him the bread he needed. This is how Jesus wants you to pray, shamelessly. Sinful pride trumps believing prayer. You will never take prayer seriously as long as you're looking for face-saving alternatives to get the needs that you have. You cannot seek God's face and save your own face at the same time. Could this be why God allows you to have an unexpected guest with an empty pantry in the middle of the night? Life is easy when the guests schedule when they're coming. You know, uh, and the market is open in the middle of the day. But the unexpected forces us to humble ourselves and to seek God for what only He can provide. The midnight caller went to his neighbor's house for bread in an inopportune time. And he did not leave until he got what he needed. His sleepy friend initially refused to help, but he kept knocking until his sleepy friend got up and gave him what he needed. The point of the parable is, is made by way of contrast. God is the opposite of the sleepy friend. Jesus is teaching that God is not a sleepy friend. He's not going to grudgingly give you what you need if you bother him enough. If a sleepy friend will meet the need of his bothersome neighbor just so he can get back to sleep, how much more will our God meet your needs when you pray? Because God never sleeps. The persistent requests worked uh, with the sleepy friend because they bothered him. But your continual prayer works because it honors our Father in heaven. One afternoon, uh, a woman stopped by a produce stand that was one of her na- uh, was a neighbor of hers. And uh, she stands in line. The line is long. He seems to be talking to everybody about everything. You know, each person like, oh, how you doing today, Mr. Smith? Hey, how's that daughter of yours? Or how's this? Or how's that? You know, just talking to him. And she's like, come on. 
I, I just want some grapes. Hello, you know. And she's like, do you have, she's really starting to get ticked off. She's really getting upset. She's feeling like she's been taken for granted because she's know that he's seen her. They made eye contact. They both waved. But he just treats everybody else so nice. And then as soon as she gets to the front of the line, he's like, just a second. And he walks to the back. That infuriates her, infuriates her, as I'm sure it would infuriate you. And can you believe, you know, she's just, in her head, she's reading him the riot act, she's yelling at him, like, I, I can't believe this, we're fr- we were supposed to be friends, you were so nice to everybody else, I get up here and you walk away, I can't believe this. And then he comes back a, a, just a, a minute or two later. And he's smiling at her, and she's not smiling back. And he says, you wanted those grapes, right? She says, yeah, that's what I came here for. I almost left. And he says, well, here, try these. And she looked at the grapes, and they were the biggest grapes, just looked amazing. He says, try one of them. And she tries one. It was like the best grape she's ever had in her entire life. And he says, I'm sorry for the delay. I just needed a little bit of time to give you my very best. How long have you been in line waiting for God to give you what you need? Sometimes it's going to take some time for Him to give you His very best. How long have you been in line waiting for God to meet a need, solve a problem, open a door? Whatever you do, don't get out of line, okay? Wait on the Lord. Don't allow your heart to become angry, to be impatient, to get bitter as you wait on God. And don't stop praying. Keep knocking at that door, waiting on God. So, we're to pray with reverence for God. We're supposed to pray with dependence on God. And then we're also supposed to pray with confidence in God. The parable of Jesus... uh, um, The parables of Jesus are often very open-ended. The story ends, the actors leave the stage, the curtains drop. You're left alone in an empty theater, if you would, to wrestle with the meaning of what you just heard. But that's not the case here because in Luke chapter, uh, in verses 9 through 13, Jesus makes the point of the parable absolutely clear in case you missed it. That God is able to answer prayers. Look at verse number 9. He says, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. In verse 9, uh, th- those words, ask, seek, and knock, they're imperatives. They're not options. They're, you know, they're not suggestions. They are divine mandates. Jesus does not recommend prayer for your consideration. He commands us to pray, not just once, but a continual, habitual life of prayer. Literally, Jesus commands us to keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Is it a lack of faith to pray for something more than once? Absolutely not, when we haven't been answered. Jesus commands us to continually ask and seek and knock. In other words, don't stop praying. Pray until you get an answer. Pray until something happens. Pray until you get what you're asking for. Pray until you find what you're seeking. Pray until that door is opened. What should you ask for in prayer? Well, I'm glad you asked. What should you ask for? What should you seek in life? What door should you be knocking on for access? 
Jesus really isn't specific here. He commands us to do those things, ask, seek, and knock, but he does not tell us what to pray for. So I think that means that you can pray about anything and everything. That's what we should be doing. We're taking everything to the Lord in prayer. Whether you pray for forgiveness or wisdom or healing or deliverance or mercy or salvation, you can pray with confidence in that God is able to answer your prayer. That is the promise that Jesus makes. And He makes it without stipulation. Your asking is going to be rewarded. Your seeking will be rewarded. Your knocking will be rewarded. Jesus even guarantees you that prayers are going to be answered. You say, well, how do you know that? Look at verse number 10. For everyone who asks... What's that next word? Let's try that one more time. Okay, everybody pay... Okay, verse number 10. For everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks... All right, we're, we're really going to need to work on this one. Okay. All right. I'm going to pause in that verse. You all say the word. I'm going to give you the words. The first one is receives. The second one's finds. And the third one, it will be opened. All right. Can you all say receives? Finds. It will be opened. All right. Let's read this verse together. All right. For everyone who asks... And he who seeks, and to him who knocks, it will be opened. That's a guarantee from the Lord. Is this a blanket promise? Is it true? Does Jesus really mean that God will answer every prayer that you pray? Yes and no. <laughs> yes, He will give us an answer. And I say no because every prayer is not going to be answered the way you want it to be answered. But God's no is not necessarily bad news. We've talked about this before. It is further proof of, proof of the good, holy, and loving purposes of God at work in our lives. God will not answer every prayer the way that you want Him to. Does a father grant every single request a child asks of him? No, not if he's a good father. The Father knows what's best for His children even when they don't know it. And the fact that His children are going to be angry or maybe even throwing a fit does not cause God to cave in and answer, uh, that, you know, answer something different that should be no. But let me say it as clearly as I can. God answers our prayers. God provides, God heals, God saves, God forgives, God strengthens, God comforts, He delivers, He reconciles, He guides. Your situation may not turn out the way that you're asking for it to turn out. Or the way you want it to turn out. And He may not act when or how you want Him to. But he does answer prayer. God is a wise father who sometimes refuses what you want to give you what you need. The Lord is good. Are you, are you with me on that? The Lord is good? He knows what's best for us. So you can trust him to answer your prayers. William Barclay was a... Um, well, mine just went blank on what he was. Uh, a com uh, he wrote commentaries, uh, theologian, and he said, uh, there is no such thing as unanswered prayer. The answer 
given may not be the answer we desired or expected, but even when it is a refusal, it is the answer of love and wisdom of God. Jesus makes his final point by asking several questions about how good fathers respond to children in need. Verse 11, If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? These are rhetorical questions that just assume negative answers. No caring father would respond to his son's hunger cries with such cruel and negligent and harmful ways. To do so would be almost kind of a child abuse or child endangerment. And Jesus assumes that a good father is going to take care of his children's basic needs. None of the disciples would have argued with that point whatsoever. Then Jesus closes the lesson by arguing from the lesser to the greater. Verse number 13. If you then, being evil... Now wait a minute. Who's he talking to? He's talking to the disciples, right? These are people that have set aside their lives to follow the Lord. And he's like... Peter's looking over at John. I can just imagine. Did he just call us evil? And he says, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Yes, He was talking to the disciples. Yes, He is talking to us today. Yes, we are evil. We may be saved, we're saved by the grace of God, uh, grace through faith in Christ alone, but we are still evil. We are still sinners, uh, that, that we have sin in our lives that needs to be forsaken and cleansed and overcome. However, as evil as we are, we still know how to take care of our children. And if evil men know how to give good gifts to their children, how much more will God take care of His blood-adopted children? As we close the end of this message, I believe it is important that we do not misunderstand this verse, okay? When he talks about giving the Holy Spirit, he was speaking of when those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior, that the Holy Spirit comes in upon them to live with them. And if you do not have the Holy Spirit, you are not saved. You are not a Christian. You do not belong to Christ. But if you are in Christ, you put your faith and trust in Christ, the Holy Spirit lives within you. You don't need to do anything to receive the Holy Spirit. He's given to you at the moment of salvation. He's already there. Every born-again Christian has all of the Holy Spirit that he or she will ever get at the moment of salvation. But as we grow and we mature in our faith, the more the Holy Spirit gets of us. D.L. Moody, a great preacher, who was asked if he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He says, yes, yes, I am filled with the Holy Spirit, but I leak. It's each and every one of us. Yes, we're filled with the Holy Spirit, but sometimes because of our desires and our sins, we leak. We're not following Him the way we should. But when we pray, God the Father has the Holy Spirit fill you afresh with all that you need to resist temptation, to live obedient, to model Christ-likeness in this world, to love selflessly, to live victoriously. God is not a sleepy friend. He's not... 
Really, again, Doug? Haven't I already? Talk, haven't you already asked this? He doesn't do that. He doesn't get frustrated with us when we bug him. We're not bugging him. He says, "Pray, then pray." He said, "That seems weird. I'm just supposed to like just talk to him." Yes. Also, you, when you pray, you don't have to have King James prayers. Oh, Lordeth, thanketh thou for this dayeth. No. That doesn't make you any holier. It doesn't make it sound any better to God. Does, he doesn't take more notice. And a lot of times, if we're doing that, it's because we want other people to think that we're spiritual. God doesn't care about that. He just wants you to talk to Him. Well, doesn't God already know all of it? Yes. He still commands us to pray. Well, isn't He going to do anything already what He planned to do? Yes, but pray anyway. But what if He doesn't answer it the way I want to? So what? Still pray. He doesn't give like a sleepy friend. God gives wholeheartedly. How's your prayer life? How you doing? I'll be honest with you, I struggle in my prayer life. I do. I have a hard time sometimes. Because I let my mind get to wandering. Not, I overthink it. God says, just talk to him. Oh, but what if i got to do it this way or this way? Just talk to him. Talk to him. Use that model. Give him his praise. Give him his adoration. Give him his worship. And then ask him for the needs that you need. But that should not be the focus of our prayers. Our focus ought to be on the worship and the adoration praying for His will to be done. It's more about Him and really us becoming more like Him and accepting His will. Okay. I'm done. At least for today. I, I don't know if you all noticed this or not. I, at least I put it in the e-blast that uh, this is going to be a nine-week series. And you're like, oh, really? We're going to talk about prayer? Yes, because I think we need it. I think every single one of If I struggle with it, y'all probably struggle with it as well. And if you don't, I'm sorry, I'm just giving you extra bonus points, okay? But we need to pray because God works through prayer. He does. There's no question about it. All right, I said I was done. I'm done. Would you stand with me as we go to the Lord in prayer? <laughs> Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the privilege of prayer. I know I say that all the time, but it is so true. It is a privilege. Yes, you command it, but Lord, you are there for us. For your children, that, that we could enter into your very throne room and you're, you're never going to say, you know, put, a, put a, a sign on the door, do not disturb or be back in five minutes. You are always there to listen to us. Lord, I pray that you would give us a prayer life that is pleasing to you. I pray that you would help me to be better in my prayer life. I pray that you help each and every one of us to be the same way. Lord, you're not like that sleepy friend who grudgingly answers prayers. Lord, you are a good God who gives even over and abundant than what we could possibly comprehend. 
Thank you for being that God. We pray for your will to be done in all of our lives. And your will is that you want us to become more like you, to be sanctified, to become more holy. And Lord, part of that takes place during prayer. Help us not to throw it away. Help us not to think of it lightly, but to do it. Not just out of duty, but we do it out of love. We do it out of desperation because we need you. Thank you, God, for this message, this challenging message. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We'll sing a verse of invitation. I don't know if there's something going on in your life. Maybe you want to respond to prayer. I don't know, but I'll give you an opportunity to respond to him. So um, let's sing uh, page 406, Lord, I'm Coming Home. today. I'm sorry. All right. Uh, Thank you all for being here. I pray that God continues to work in your hearts, uh, work in your prayer life, and uh, just let God have his way in your life. You won't regret it. All right. Let's close in a word of prayer, and I'm going to ask if, uh, Harold, would you close our service in prayer, sir?